0: Where did Pentecostalism start and what can we learn from its history? What's the relationship between the Holy Spirit, personal piety and power and justice? What was the role of the Holy Spirit in the resurrection of Jesus? And how does this affect the way we see wounds around us today? And how can we resist limiting the spheres in which we long to see the Holy Spirit at work? Welcome to this episode of Talking Theology. In today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Selina Stone. Selina is a postdoctoral research associate in the Department of Theology and Religion at Durham University. And her research on Pentecostalism and social justice was entitled Holy Spirit, Holy Bodies. And our title today is How Can a Rich Understanding of the Holy Spirit Help Us as We Attend to a Wounded World? Thank you for listening and i hope you enjoy the show. Selena Stone, welcome to Talking Theology.
1: Thank you for it.
0: Selena, we are colleagues in Durham University. You work in the Common Awards team. Tell us about your present role within Durham University and also the roles that you've taken uh, on the journey to being here.
1: Yes, it's been quite a an interesting journey actually. So so my role at Durham now with the Common Awards team is to help the team who really oversee theological training and to particularly think about what it means to help theological education be more and more relevant to the diverse groups of people that God has made and exist in the world. And, and so it's a real privilege and a real joy to get to do that work. And, uh, and it's funny to be working for Durham and for the Common Awards team because My journey didn't begin anywhere near those places, so I'm a Brummie, which you can hear and you'll hear more and more as we go through the conversation. And I grew up in in a city family in Birmingham, in a Pentecostal church. And my very random trajectory took me to Bible college. So I did my first degree in French and Spanish studies and then ended up going to Bible college for two years after praying about what to do next and feeling quite clearly that I needed to study in a Bible college. And I I didn't know what it really was about and I didn't want to go because I did not want to be a pastor. And so I was fighting and fighting and fighting not to go. And eventually it became so clear that I had to do this. And thank God I did say yes, because that's began my journey to becoming who I am now. So that was my introduction to theological study and biblical studies. And then I did my masters at King's in theology and politics. And that was really born out of me wrestling with what does my faith have to do with what's happening in the world? And that was a space for me to explore that. And then I did my PhD and the rest is history.
0: And the Common Awards team, it's just worth saying for our listeners, is the team within Durham University that oversees the theological qualifications, not only for the Church of England, but for other denominations. And it's a remarkable gift to the church. And uh, we're really proud to have the Common Awards team as part of Durham University and you on the team. Now, you've mentioned that your own faith background was in a Pentecostal tradition, and that indeed is where you did your PhD, your doctoral research. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, because I think it's an absolutely fascinating Topic, so you looked at Pentecostalism and in particular looked at how the Holy Spirit is understood to be at work, particularly as the church deals with various forms of oppression. Perhaps tell us the route to why that was the question you found yourself wanting to look at?
1: So I began as a community organiser, and so my original thought was, how do I understand or why is it that Pentecostals are reluctant to get involved with community organising? For those who don't know, this is a kind of broad-based community engagement that's about building local power to change local issues. And so my role in London, when I did this in London, was helping to get more Pentecostal churches involved, which was a real challenge. And so my, my thinking was, well, for me growing up, it was pretty obvious why this should be core to Pentecostal practice. But what was happening? What was, I wanted to investigate what was going wrong in maybe the thinking of Pentecostal pastors or, or their ideas about what ministry looked like and what the gap was between Pentecostal theology, which has really good narratives for God's power, for transformation, all that kind of stuff. But then the actual practice of church life can sometimes be quite disengaged from... From community issues. So that was what led me to begin the exploration. But then when I began, it became clear to me that for Pentecostals, some of these ideas, particularly around radical po- politics, fe- felt quite foreign. And I thought actually, this may not be the right approach. Is it possible that Pentecostalism has the sources within itself? To provide this impetus for a socially engaged Pentecostal faith without having to borrow from something that it wouldn't necessarily think belong to it, and now I look back, I think I, I was kind of wanting to construct some Pentecostal theology, and I end up doing that in the kind of last bit of the thesis is is going through it and and thinking actually what how do we help Pentecostals to think better about the, about reality about our experience and for me you, you can't really talk about Pentecostalism without thinking about the spirit and, and thinking particularly about wh- how understandings of the spirit's work help or hinder social engagement so that was where I ended up going to was actually what's happening for Pentecostals when they think about the presence of the spirit baptism in the spirit the work in the, of the spirit and even what's happening in and for them on a subconscious level because some of this is not even articulated but it's what's expected and not expected when we talk about the Spirit coming, when we talk about revival, for Pentecostals, that tends to be a very individualised experience. Even if everybody's together in the room, it's me and the Holy Spirit having this experience. It's that person being filled with the Spirit as an individual. But there isn't always an understanding of what does this mean for us collectively? And that was really what I wanted to wrestle with.
0: You've given us a brilliant taster about some of the topics we're going to explore in our conversation today, Selena. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's think about the definitions we're working with in terms of understanding Pentecostalism as a a tradition within the Christian faith. Let's think about it from a, a historical, a theological, and then a kind of anthropological. That is a kind of lived, embodied perspective. Let's do the historical perspective first of all. You identify the origins of what you call classic Pentecostalism in the Azusa Street missions from the United States in the early 20th century. Why is that normally regarded as the usual starting point?
1: It's a good question. I mean, I think Pentecostalism is worth saying it's such a broad movement that everybody disagrees on how it should be defined. So some people will, will hold together the kind of broader charismatics and pentecostals as one movement and and there's good reasons for that because on the surface they'll look very similar similar openness to the spirit with similar openness to spiritual gifts if you go to a charismatic anglican church or a, a a black pentecostal church they'll look quite similar on the tin I think there's something quite important about not doing that because i think there's a particular story of the azusa street revival that's particularly important for me as someone interested in public theology theological ethics the questions of power and social justice that i fear get lost in the kind of broader charismatic movement so azusa street becomes significant in the history of pentecostalism slash the charismatic movement because it's a space at which it really becomes to take on a, a global identity. So the Azusa's Tutorial was happening in 1906, and it begins in a black holiness church with some with local members being around. So some white members joining as well, but in the beginning, it's a it's a typical black holiness church. William Seymour was the leader there. He's the son of ex-slaves who travels up from the south and comes to Los Angeles to lead this church. And they start to pray to experience the Holy Spirit, as in the book of Acts. And so that begins to happen. And people travel from around the world to experience this. And they write in the, in the apostolic faith newspaper, which you can still find online. And they're writing letters to people around the world saying this is what's happening. People travel their experiences and they go back home and begin to pray for the same experiences in parts in all over the world.
0: One of the things you do as well, though, is actually go back even further than the Azusa Street, back to non-Christian West African spirituality and also the, the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. Can you explain why each of those contribute?
1: Yes. So I wanted to go back before Azusa Street because I was interested in the body and how Pentecostalism thinks about the body. And so, and particularly ideas around... Materiality versus spirituality. So, what we can, what we experience and can feel, the material world versus the spiritual, and those dualisms. So, in order to to kind of trace where these tensions originated within Pentecostalism, I wanted to go behind Pentecostalism to to see where some of these origins were. And so, I, I began to explore how actually Pentecostalism doesn't really take on the full benefits of an African religious heritage, particularly thinking in terms of the way that within African spirituality, all of reality is united in one. The dualisms that exist within Western philosophy are are kind of anathema for African spirituality.
0: And just talk about that dualism that's so prevalent in, in Western theology and philosophy. Just kind of spell out what you mean by that
1: with an African imagination, and again, we're oversimplifying this because Africa contains many cultures and, and, and places, but in contrast to a Western perspective, there's a real understanding that all of life is spiritual. So for example, our economic life is spiritual it was interesting to me to hear people speaking about encountering the divine within the marketplace like actually tangibly in the market and seeking the favor of god while shopping while trading so there's a a sense that everything that we do has a spiritual aspect rather than thinking that when we're out shopping that's a secular activity and when we're in church that's a spiritual activity so that that binary doesn't really exist within African perspectives and so that for me was really fascinating thinking about well what's happening for you know African descendant Pentecostals then who do often sit within a sacred versus secular worldview rather than thinking about things holistically but then on the other hand they do in terms of the body to some extent because the body is brought up into worship the spirit does heal the body so for me it was that tension between what's it what is it taking from its African heritage and not.
0: And the Wesleyan Holiness Movement, give us a sense about how that was an important part of the background and the the sort of overall landscape for Pentecostalism.
1: Sure. So the the Holiness Movement for me is a really important aspect of Pentecostal history that sometimes, again, doesn't get spoken about very often. And it's important, again, because of the, the tensions around the body, because what Pentecostals adopt from the holiness movement is this real concern about holiness and Christian perfection and so much of that becomes linked to suppression of the body, control of the body, suspicion of materiality and so for me it was, it was tracing that link through the Wesleyan movement and saying actually in what ways has this Helped or hindered Pentecostals from having a a more holistic understanding of their spirituality, which might then enable them to be engaged with the questions of, well, what's happening with our bodies? Then are we are are we putting bodies into hierarchies? Are people what are people experiencing socially and politically? Um, And so, of course, it's important to note, and I do note this that Methodists have had real engagement in things like the abolitionist movement. So it's not been a totally disembodied kind of faith but I think I wanted to trace through like again where's the tension here between a faith that's public, a faith that engages with holistic experience including things like race and gender and class versus a tradition that's preventing Pentecostals from doing that.
0: You've given us an overview, Selena, of these strands that have flowed into the the classic kind of locus of kind of Pentecostal development and Moving on from the historical to the explicitly theological, you've described, I know, a tension between two understandings of the Spirit's work, and we've already heard echoes of this in in what you've shared already today. One understanding is that the Spirit engages with the body primarily through spirit baptism and healing, but not kind of questions of trauma or identity of the body. The other kind of understanding understands the Spirit to be at work in all aspects of human body and experience including when the bodies come together that is in social and political engagement and oppression do you want to articulate more behind these two very distinctive understandings about how the spirit is at work
1: yes yeah, so this for me became the crux of the thesis really in in explaining what the real tension is within Pentecostalism and the struggle that Pentecostals can have to engage with social issues. And the reason why I settled on these two different... Definitions or, or ways of approaching how they think of the spirit was because it was obvious to me, even from the early days of Pentecostalism, that there were people who really did have a holistic understanding of what it meant for the spirit to be present and at work within communities. And it tended to be a minority, to be fair, but there was a trend of people who did understand this. Like Church of God in Christ, from the get go, they understood the importance of having real messages around black community development. Undoing the harm of slavery on black communities, attending to those political realities from the early days. And that carried on through the civil rights movement. You see a few Pentecostal pastors popping up here and there, really engaging with these big political questions. And often it was white Pentecostals who didn't see the need to do this. And again, that comes from a place of privilege. You don't really need to think about those big political questions if you're not in the groups of people who are feeding the brunt of the status quo. So I noticed this difference, and it wasn't purely a racialized difference, actually, because you see this overlapping across the board. And so for me, going forward, because I did some work with contemporary Pentecostals it was me saying well to what extent do these two approaches continue today and I think that they do continue today that there continues to be some Pentecostals who still struggle to have a more holistic understanding of how the spirit is working and are satisfied with an understanding of the spirit that centers personal piety that's very much about spiritual growth but doesn't translate into critical reflection on the questions of power and justice, even within the church community, let alone thinking beyond that into wider society. So that for me has been the crux of my findings, has been finding this kind of philosophical and theological challenge within the movement
0: and it seems to me you've done a great service in actually being able to articulate that this different expression of Pentecostal faith is rooted actually in some critically different understandings and how the spirit or rather the scope in which the spirit is understood to be at work. You you mentioned about the fact that you've done some research and, and part of your work was actually looking at contemporary Pentecostalism and I think you drew a distinction between those churches which embodied a kind of i think what you call classical pentecostalism and then those that embraced i think what you call progressive pentecostalism do you want to say more about what the differences between those two strands of pentecostalism look like
1: sure so this was a really helpful framing that Miller and yamamori produced in their work on on social engagement and global pentecostalism they create kind of four different strands of pentecostalism and then four different orientations so when i'm talking about azusa street that would be called the classical strand but then you also have neo-pentecostal movements So these, these are the kind of churches that have popped up more recently they might have some vague pentecostal heritage but they wouldn't trace themselves directly to azusa street similarly indigenous pentecostal churches so these are churches that you'll find that have a very particular cultural context so for example huge nigerian pentecostal churches right that that come from a particular strand so they categorize as different strands but also orientations so some churches that have an otherworldly orientation so they will spend a lot of time for example having huge prayer meetings thinking a lot about spiritual warfare but won't necessarily engage on social issues and the progressive strand is, is one of those orientations so you can be classical and progressive the classical is the, is the strand, progressive is the orientation. So, those are the churches that I was wanting to engage w- with. It was churches who come from the Azusa Street history but are progressive. And this, in Pentecostal context, means specifically that these are churches who understand social engagement as core to their ministry.
0: And what was so exciting or interesting for you about these churches that they managed to combine a really thoroughgoing understanding of the spirits? work in the life of the believer and in the church and in the expression of worship, but also saw the Spirit's work in the world as the church engaged in social action in terms of fighting for in- against injustice. What, what made that crossover between the church and the world possible in the churches that you examined?
1: It was a combination of things so some of it was in the churches for example there was a real commitment to theological reflection in those spaces where that work was taking place so there was an openness to innovation to new ideas and new possibilities in those particular contexts but also there were churches that were rooted in the kind of communities that had a lot of needs So these are churches that are are inner city churches with lots of people for the issues of poverty, youth violence, whatever it might be, are real life issues in the places where they live and work and where their children go to school. So there's a real embeddedness of these churches in these communities that I think makes this kind of work for them essential. But it was also the case that some of the organisations I spoke to, because I spoke to both churches and also what we might call parachurch organisations or charity type organisations that were led by Pentecostals. It was also the case that you'd have some individuals who tended to be kind of mavericks within the Pentecostal church space, people who felt quite frustrated at church or who had a real passion for social issues, but didn't always have the right space within the church community to do work relating to them. And it was encouraging to see examples where there were really good relationships with churches. So in one case, an organisation had actually been incubated in the church building for a while before going out on their own. And because the church had the imagination to say, actually, we might not have a whole team of people here that can do this work around rehabilitation or, you know, high-risk adults, but we, sup- we really value what you're doing. So how can we support you with volunteer time, with a building, with funding to get you started? So that, for me, was really inspiring. But I think it's born out of both a deep experience of this through their own life stories or through the communities that they care for and reflecting theologically on what does it mean for us to be church in this particular kind of place.
0: One of the fascinating things you did at the end of your thesis, Selena, was look at the Holy Spirit's work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ's still wounded body which was absolutely kind of brilliant. And you said that in that place, in the the Spirit's work, in the crucified Jesus as well as the resurrected Jesus, we can find the basis for a theology of the Holy Spirit which is attentive to the forms of oppression that we've been talking about today. Can you introduce the listeners to, to what your idea is there?
1: Yes, this is where I got to be a real theologian. I mean, I was being a real theologian all throughout it, but it was a place where I feel... I was moved to tears writing this chapter, honestly, because I felt so, I don't know how to describe it, but it it was a space for me to just to hold all the thoughts I'd had in a deeply theological place. And so because I ended up thinking about the body so much, I really wanted to find a way of reflecting on the body and the work of the spirit and also trauma and oppression. And so reading through some trauma theology and womanish theology as well, which is so great on this kind of theme, really was a space where I ended up locating this reflection and thinking about Paul describing the spirit who raised Christ from the dead right as also living within you and what does it mean if we take that seriously because the spirit who raised Christ from the dead raised Christ from the dead with the scars intact didn't erase the scars didn't remove them didn't hide them away and in fact, that calls attention to them because we can't look away from them. Thomas, of course, had this amazing experience, which I always think he gets quite a hard deal when we tell about Thomas because we think you know, what a bad disciple he was. But he got an experience that no one in history ever got to have. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, if being a bad disciple gets you to do that, then it might not be such a bad idea. But I, But I really wanted to wrestle with this idea of what does it mean for us to believe that the spirit's calling us to attention, to see the scars on Jesus's body, on our own bodies, on the bodies of those around us. Because I think about Jesus, and this is where the womanist and the black theology comes through, as someone whose body was victimized and brutalized by regimes of violence. He's an innocent man who is brutally beaten and murdered by an unjust system. And so to think of jesus in that way that makes you think well where are the other bodies we know who are experiencing violence at the hand of unjust systems and if the spirit would resurrect jesus's body with the scars intact saying look at these scars then how might we also notice those other bodies around us that are brutalized and and wounded um rather than cover them over and hide them away but to pay attention so that that for me was where i where i ended in a deeply theological and womanist and pentecostal space so that's that's where i ended up
0: so is the message or is one of the messages there selena the spirit invites us to be attentive to the wounds of the bodies of the people we see around us and the spirit is inviting us not to simply think that those wounds are to be either ignored or simply Healed immediately, but rather just look at them. And therefore, the invitation is for each one of us to say, "Where are the wounds? Where the spirit is inviting us to?"
1: Yes, definitely. And I think what the Pentecostal movement teaches us as well is that there are particular bodies who have been wounded, like all through the whole thesis. I hold together the questions of race and gender and class because these are the markers of of Azusa Street and of the people who belong to the Azusa Street revival. And to think that. If we believe these stories, right, the spirit makes God known in that particular space, then it begs the question, like right now, when we're thinking about what's happening in our world, in our communities, where are are the groups of the forgotten and the overlooked, the people we think are unlikely to be the hosts of revivals the places that this is this is revival history the spirit has a preference for turning up in random unexpected places where you wouldn't think god would go if god really wanted to make Godself self known and yet we see this happening time and time again so it is definitely that question of attending to our wounds and the various bodies around us and paying particular attention to those groups of people who are particularly wounded so that we don't forget them while we're thinking about our own pain and our own, our own needs.
0: You've spoken today, and we've explored today particularly Pentecostalism, but I'm wondering what are the broader lessons that there might be from your study for Christians of every flavour in terms of thinking about the role of the Spirit in our own Christian lives and the lives of our churches?
1: I'm glad that you asked this because I often believe that my work is not just for Pentecostals or charismatics, but it's it's like you have to pick a lane, <laughs> you know, to to kind of to work in. I think that the important thing is and when when we're thinking about the work of the spirit to not be so limited in our imagination about what that can mean. And I think that a lot of work has been done on Christology to to think about the historical Jesus and to think about Christ- that all the things we need to think about in terms of the deity of Christ. And, and this, this really matters. It's, it's crucial, obviously, to our faith. But I think we can fall short of giving the spirit due attention in, in reflecting on how we experience the life of the spirit and the work of the spirit among us. And that is something I think Pentecostals across the board have been really pushing for in their scholarship, is to say, you know, this is the Trinitarian faith and don't forget about the Spirit, the kind of last but not least member. But I think that will be something I think is really important, is that we really hold together a a true Trinitarianism in our doctrine and we don't neglect thinking about the work of the Spirit and particularly the implications for ethics, because that I think is really exciting. I think Pentecostalism offers that to the church, is this is what's possible if we offer our lives up to the life of the Spirit and and not just within the water of the church but as we're going about our lives in all kinds of spaces that we actually believe that the Spirit of God is really living within us and explore what that might mean.
0: You've spoken already movingly about the experience of writing and doing some of this research. You talked about that chapter on the the resurrection body of Jesus moving you to tears. What are the wider ways in which this... Research, this thinking has touched, affected and shaped your own journey of faith, Selina?
1: I think it, it honestly, and this is one of the questions that I also came across as well, was really wrestling with what does it really mean for us to be formed as Christians? This this was one of the, again, an underlying question for me, because I was really, really just, and traumatised is too strong a word, I was disturbed by... The stories of azusa street and the way that racism sabotages the azusa street revival and even as you know church regarding christ begins as an interracial denomination before the white people leave to set up their own church and i really wrestled with this not because i was thinking particularly about white people and whiteness but i was just so deeply disturbed thinking this is a three and a half year revival they're at azusa street and the Holy Spirit is there in full effect. Yeah, according, all the stories are just mind boggling, miraculous healings, mass conversions, all kinds of things going on. You're thinking this is heaven on earth, literally, but somehow in the midst of this, human sin just runs rampant to the point that it ends up not lasting. Even when denominations get set up, they revert to the old habits of racial segregation, of preventing women from preaching and leading when they've been doing that from the revival started. How do we somehow undo the good work of God? how do we why are we so determined to undo it at every opportunity and it for me that it made me frustrated it made me sad it made me even despair a little bit because you're thinking that's really the height of what we what we especially as pentecostals charismatics right it's more revival it's more holy spirit it's all we need is more of the holy spirit and everything will be fine and i was like well that's not the case that's not what azusa street tells us actually it tells us that we have to fight for the good work of god and i don't mean that purely as a, as a kind of rational or you know power of the will but we have to persist in prayer in prayerfulness in humility in understanding that if our worship doesn't play out in the love of our neighbor and i don't mean that in a sentimental sense i mean a commitment to extend ourselves to the well-being of our neighbor in every sense then what we have is religion we don't have the spirit we have rituals and we have religion and this is something that's really moved me a lot has been Don't be that person, Selena, who who limits the work of the Spirit and what's more of the Holy Spirit for, you know, a little list of things so she can maybe heal somebody and maybe have a really prophetic word for somebody. Don't be so limited in your view of what the Spirit can do. If you give your life up to the Spirit, it's going to mean that you might have some friends who you didn't expect to have and you might have to give up some power and you might have to check your prejudices. And I think that that's something that has shaped me so indelibly, I think, is the, the fear that we can get so caught up in great religious experiences that we stop critically reflecting on what is this really doing in terms of our formation.
0: That's a inspiring and challenging invitation to us all, I think, Selena, to see the spirit at work, not only in small places, but in the very big places of our lives and our communities. Selena Stone, thank you very much indeed for appearing on Talking Theology.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been great. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmer Hall, Durham. Cranmer Hall is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmerhall.com.